we've been in a series called Saved, amen? Aren't you glad you're saved this morning? How many of you would say, I'm saved, sanctified, baptized, and know it, and been spirit-filled to show it? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. It's good to be saved. And we taught you the first week that salvation is an immeasurable gift. Pastor Ken reminded us that it is a finished work. And I want to remind you today of something you may have never heard in church, but it's also a fun life. And the title of my message this morning is Saved from Despair. As I shared with you a few weeks ago, I've been having some back issues for a long time. It started in my lower back, and the Lord took care of that. And it's, I've been having trouble with my neck. I've got some bulging disc, and Dr. Kirk and Bethany taking good care of me, Dr. Jeremy Bruce. And I went for an MRI, and, and they found some bulging disc uh, in my C6 and 7. So occasionally, uh, my arm will just go numb, and people think I'm getting the Holy Ghost. I already have the Holy Ghost, but I shake my arm a little bit just to wake it up every now and then. So I went in for a MRI, and after I left, I left with something else to worry about. They found something strange on my left collarbone, so I had to go back for a cancer screening. And so for a week, I just began to kind of process that, having a friend who was struggling with cancer on the verge of transition and other people close to me that have suffered with the cancer diagnosis, I started to kind of think about my life. Lord, am I ready? Have I, have I done what you've asked me to do? And uh, I just made up my mind during that season that however much time I have left, I'm going to have some fun. Amen? Uh, I, I'm not going to let worry and anxiety and depression and fear win anymore because life is a gift. Salvation is a gift. And Jesus died so that we might have joy. He said that he wanted his joy in us and for his joy to remain in us. He wanted our joy to be to the overflow. And, and many people of the Christian faith, if they have joy, they need to alert their face. Uh, uh, Christians are some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life. And, and, and I know this aggravates the religious spirit when I say it, but... Most bars provide more of a joyful atmosphere than churches, okay? And I've spent time in both. And, and I'm telling you, if we're going to reach the next generation, we're going to have to offer the real Jesus, the one that welcomed the little children, the ones that they called a glutton and a wine bibber because when he entered into a room, the anointing entered into the room and he didn't even have to partake in worldly things. He was so full of joy that he would literally light up the room. Have you ever asked yourself why the first miracle, the first sign in the gospel of John was Jesus turning water into wine? Now I know some of you Church of God and Baptists, but it wasn't grape juice. That's not what the Greek word means. It can't heal a wound. If it's grape juice, you don't pour grape juice on a wound. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus didn't want that humble Galilean family to suffer embarrassment, so he kept the party going. That's the kind of person he was. He was a joyful person. You know, he didn't even have to wear a shirt that looks like Walt Disney puked on it to have joy. You know what I mean? I mean, Jesus could walk into a room and literally change the atmosphere because he was a man of joy. And he took our burdens, he took our shame, he, he took our 
heaviness to the cross and when he went down into the abyss and defeated Satan and got up out of the grave on the third day, he gave us a contract that he signed with his blood and that contract is a guarantee that we can have a life of abundance. I have come that they may have life and have it to the abundance is what Jesus said. I heard a story about a man who entered the priesthood. He was a very successful businessman in customer relations, but he felt the Lord was calling him to the priesthood. So he entered the seminary, went through all the requirements and protocols required of a priest. Eventually, he was given his own parish. And one Saturday afternoon, he was about to hear confessions when he ran into an old business acquaintance outside the parish. His old business acquaintance looked at the new priest with a new parish and said, well, how do you like the new job? And the priest responded and said, well, the pay is not great. The hours are long. But then he pointed at that confessional booth and he said, but what I do like about this business is the customer is always wrong. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So just remember that, Abba's house, the customer is always wrong because we've all fallen short of God's grace, but because of Jesus, we have access to everything that he is. Jesus Christ came so that we would not only enter into heaven, we would not only embrace the kingdom, but that we might have joy unspeakable and full of glory. So we're in the book of Romans today, chapter 6, and also Ephesians chapter 2. But I just want to begin with this from Ephesians. Ephesians is the church epistle. Romans is the epistle of grace. Everything you've ever wanted to learn about grace, you can find in the book of Romans. Paul longed to be there with them. He longed to speak in to the most prestigious place in the world at that time. But he penned this letter, and it wasn't just for them. It was for all of us that we might know the true riches of God's grace. But first, in Ephesians to the church, it says this in chapter 2, verse 4. But God, somebody say, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for it is by grace we've been saved, and he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Somebody shout grace. In his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is indeed the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, the Greek word poimea, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon would say, I perceive that there is nothing better 
for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. In just a few days, we'll be at the Mount of Beatitudes where Jesus released those kingdom principles to the world. And whenever you see the word bless, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed means happy. Happy. Because of Jesus, you can be happy. You can walk in freedom. You don't have to worry for tomorrow or even yesterday because of Jesus, because salvation is a free gift, an immeasurable gift, because it is a finished work paid for by the blood. It is a power from on high. It is a power to keep you going. It's not just a prayer you pray. It is a life you live, and it's a kingdom you inherit. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he's promised. It's also a work in progress. See, that's what's not taught often in church. You get saved, and you think everything's going to be perfect. Well, I'm going to heaven. Jesus is in my heart. You just woke the devil up, so you did. And now you were on his radar to keep you from advancing God's kingdom, fulfilling your destiny, and being the light God has called you to be. The moment you get saved, it's game on. Why else would we be told in Ephesians to put our armor on? Because we are in a fight. Now we have the victory, we're not fighting for it, we're fighting from it, because Jesus already paid for it. We just have to remind the enemy that he's a liar and a loser and he's been defeated by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been set apart. We can experience a daily cleansing and power for kingdom purpose. Listen, I don't believe you can lose your salvation like a ring slipping off your finger. I don't believe that the blood of Jesus is that cheap. I believe that salvation is an eternal gift that you don't earn, you just receive. But I'll be honest with you, at 8 o'clock tomorrow when that plane takes off, just in case I'm wrong, I'm going to make sure every sin is confessed up to date. I'm just going to be honest. I'm eternally secure till that plane's about to take off. And just in case, I want to make sure, Lord, what did I say yesterday? Am I cleansed? Did I think something bad? Did I do something bad? Can I get an amen? amen. Salvation. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, the word... And the phrase here, work out, in the Greek is a word for mining gold or silver. Now, bear with me just a minute. You can't work out or mine for something that's not already there. Well, let me just mess with you all a little more. So, when, when, when it says work out your own salvation, that doesn't mean live every day like you're going to hell. Scared you're going to hell, scared you don't measure up, scared you're condemned, scared nobody loves you, scared that you've blown it. No, that's not what that means. You work out your own salvation. You can't work it out if it's not already there in the first place. You can't mine for gold and be successful if there's not gold there. You can't mine for coal if there's no coal there. There's already something there. 
But that's what needs to be worked out. We use the term workout for like weightlifting and running and exercising and training and all of those kinds of things. But you don't exercise or work out to create a body. You exercise and work out to develop what's already there. So salvation's no different. When you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, you're working out something that's already there. You've already received the gift of salvation if you've been saved. If you've acknowledged your need for a Savior, acknowledged your sin, believed on Jesus Christ, confessed your sins, you've been delivered from evil, and you have a guarantee of eternal life. So if you've done those things, you're not working out trying to prove yourself to a God that doesn't love you unless you measure up. You don't measure up. That's why he sent his son, to measure you up. And so you have been saved and set free. So we don't work for salvation. We work from our salvation. Romans chapter 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. It's what Paul would say. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So that old self was crucified. If someone tries to bring up your past, say, oh, that guy's dead. She's dead. That person died a long time ago. In order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for the one who has died is freed from sin. See, people in the world and under the spell of Satan genuinely believe they are free. The freedom to sin, the freedom to lie, cheat, steal, be addicted, commit all these fleshly sins and spiritual sins. They believe, I'm free, I can do what I want. But really, you're not free. You're under intense bondage to the things of darkness. And not only are you not free, you're not happy. You're not blessed. If you're alone at night in your bed, you can't tell me that the life you are living apart from the kingdom is bringing you peace and joy. I know when I was living that life, it might be joy for a moment, but whenever I'd get alone, the heaviness would come, the guilt would come, the condemnation would come, the pain would come, the regret would come. And that's why it says in Romans, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, once you're saved, you ought not be living under guilt all the time. See, religion uses guilt to keep you in your place. Religion wants to kill what it can't control. Religion manipulates through guilt and through the strategy of control. That's why I can always tell a religious person because they're, they want to control everything. You see, you've got to allow Jesus and the Spirit of God to lead and guide your life. You have to relinquish all rights to control and trust God in here and now. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Amen? Isn't that what it's really about? Intimacy with God, a relationship with God, not a decision, not a church role, not all of these things we've invented in the Western world to make people feel like they are a part of something. I'm talking about to be accepted in the beloved perichoresis, to be at one with God where you know his voice and he knows your voice, where you spend time in his word, time in the spirit. That's what it's about, to be with him. 
That is the reason we were created in the first place, oneness with a holy and a righteous God. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer has master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to Christ Jesus. So, Pastor Ronnie, how can I live a guilt-free life? How can I truly have fun as a Christian? How, how can I enjoy my experience on this earth, however long I have in the kingdom of God? How can I have fun in this life? Well, I want to answer those questions because I struggled with this. It's the key thing that moved me from bondage into freedom 18 years ago. These principles. If you'll follow these, and they're all scriptural, I promise you, you will never live under the condemnation and guilt from the enemy again. How can we be saved from despair? Number one, if you want to live a fun life in the kingdom of God, one soul must be certain. One soul must be certain. There is no preacher on planet earth that can talk me out of my salvation. You can't talk me out of my salvation. A seminary professor can't talk me out of my salvation. Now there was a time in my life where every preacher could talk me out of it. But at this stage in my walk, I can't be talked out of what's on the inside of me. And if you want to experience the joy that Christ has for you, you have to know your soul must be certain that you know Jesus, you've been saved and set free, you are born again. You have to know one's soul must be certain. Remember the old hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine, oh what a foretaste of glory divine. There is power in assurance. There is power in knowing whose you are and what you've been called to do. One soul must be certain. In Romans 6 here, verse 20 through 22, that phrase, know, is there. To know. Knowing this, verse 6. Knowing this. Knowing this. How do you know something? To know something in the core of your being, knowing this, that our old self was crucified. Do you know this? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that you're blessed and not cursed? Do you know that you have joy? Do you know that there are better days ahead? Come on, somebody. Do you know that joy comes in the morning? You have to know some things. One's soul must be certain. Number two, one's mind must be convinced. The enemy comes through the mind. If the enemy can capture your mind, he can control you through strongholds. He can literally take a stronghold of you and turn you every which way. The enemy can take you from missing the mark all the way to iniquity if he can get access to you through your mind. And he gets access through media, through what you read, through circumstances, through what you listen to. If the enemy can get access to your mind, the enemy will convince you that the hell you're living in is normal. That the abuse you're taking from someone else is normal. That the dysfunction you've been raised in is normal. Can I get an amen, somebody? That the pain you're experiencing is normal. The enemy wants to keep you in that miserable state. But Jesus took on that miserable state, defeated it, 
made a public spectacle of the devil's demons triumphing over them by way of the cross so that you don't have to live in that miserable state anymore. One's soul must be certain. One's mind must be convinced. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Put your mind on things above, Colossians would say, not on earthly things. Allow God to transform your mind. That's what it teaches us in Romans 12. You have to allow God to transform your mind. That's why the scriptures are so important. And I know the new age fad amongst famous preachers is to deny the validity of these scriptures and to throw this Bible away and say there's no power in these scriptures. But this old boy, I still believe this is the word of God. I still believe this is what will transform a life, a mind, a soul. And we're going to keep preaching out of this timeless book as long as I'm here. Because I believe that every person needs a transformation in the area of the mind. The word reckon in Romans 6 is an accountant word. Now, I'm not called to accounting. I don't even like basic math. But this word is an accounting word, and it does not mean to make something true but to discover that something is true and act on that truth. To reckon yourselves dead. To reckon yourselves as one with Christ. First John chapter 5, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may... Somebody help me. No. That you may know. Everybody say no. Know that you have eternal life. John chapter 10 verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Listen to me. If you cannot get free from bondage, one of these three things is true. If you cannot get free from a certain struggle or from this world, one of these three things is true. Number one, you've never fully accepted God's free gift of grace. You've prayed a prayer. You've been a church member. You've done good things but you've never truly accepted God's free gift of grace. Number two, you have a stronghold that has never been dealt with in your life. The Bible teaches us about strongholds. It's when the enemy comes in through the mind gate, the ear gate, the eye gate, and you begin to have habits and hang-ups and strongholds from your past. And you allow the enemy to use your past against you, to use your struggle, to use your flesh against you. And you can't walk in true freedom because the enemy has taken root in your life. Deep down, back there in the past, in the dark shadows, there are things that still control you. You haven't forgiven the people that have hurt you. You haven't moved on from your painful past. You've not accepted Jesus. You've not put him as Lord Adonai of your life. And because of that, the enemy 
has taken control. Well, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. So you can defeat those strongholds by the confessions you make out of your mouth. When you give God praise and when you speak the things of God about yourself and your circumstances, things will shift for you. And I know it can seem a little ridiculous. Listen, it preaches well, but I know when you're like in a public setting and all hell's breaking loose and you're claiming the goodness of God, most people are going to think you're nuts. I get that. But I tell you, God moves on behalf of nutty people. Look at Caleb, look at Moses, look at Gideon, look at David. People who do extravagant things and say extravagant things by way of faith, God shows up for. So you've got to decide, are you trying to please God or man? Because if you get desperate enough, you won't care what anybody thinks. And I'm telling you, we have to start making declarations as to who we are, what we're called to do, what our future is supposed to look like. And when we declare those things, it defeats the enemy. Amen? Number three, if you're not free, either you've never accepted God's free gift of grace, you have a stronghold, number two, that's never been dealt with in your life, or number three, your flesh is leading and not the spirit. You have not reckoned your flesh dead. We all struggle with this, and Galatians teaches us that in order to walk out justification by faith, we have to be led by the Spirit. You cannot memorize your way into freedom. You cannot work yourself to the point of exhaustion in the flesh for freedom. You need to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray it happens when you're saved. But if it didn't, you need an experience with the Holy Spirit that's real. My dad came to me this morning and said, Son, I'm struggling with what I'm going to preach for you in a few weeks. I don't know what to preach. I said, Simply get up and teach them how to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I said, You think well, they've all heard it. There's a bunch of new people in this church. You need to tell your story. You need to preach it. You need to lay hands on people to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to come back to a church filled with Holy Ghost people. <laughs> expecting things. Hallelujah. And you can get that today. It's available every Sunday. You come down here, you say, I need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We know what to pray and who to believe. And God will do it for you here, there, everywhere. He showed up for me on a bathroom floor at midnight. Right here in Hickson. It may be in church. It may be in a penthouse or an outhouse. But God will find you where you are. If you cry out to Jesus, you are not weak, you are dead. Say, I'm not weak, I'm dead. Dead men walking. Don't live under the reign of the old regime, of the power of the enemy. You've been made free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And don't use the law of liberty as a reason to sin and to make a mockery of God. Let me dabble just a minute. You know, one of the most annoying parts of the eternal security argument for me is because people that don't believe in it try to play the role of God. Is anybody with me? People that don't believe in eternal security think they know the heart of another person. You are not qualified to judge the heart of another person. Only God can judge that. So it's a meaningless argument. Who cares? Just get you some of Jesus and trust him with the outcome. 
It's not my job to go, well, he has it and she doesn't have it and she's not, I don't know about that one. And no, no, that's not my job. And I'm thankful it's not. There are going to be some people in heaven you didn't expect to be there. There are going to be some people you expected to be there that ain't going to be there. Every person needs to put God first and chase him and work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Number three, one's soul must be certain, number one. Number two, one's mind must be convinced. If you want to embrace the joy of the Christian life, number three, one's life must be consecrated. Our duty is but to yield, to surrender, to give in, to submit, and to bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If we surrender, we will discover real freedom. Freedom from sin's dominion, sin's power, sin's pain, and the curse of the law. Romans 6, verse 22. It says in verse 13 of Romans chapter 6, And do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, if you've experienced this freedom, don't be double-minded. Don't allow your flesh to lead the way and don't make a mockery of the grace you've been given. Don't take the gift back. Cherish the gift. Cherish the giver. Worship the giver. Put the giver on his rightful place, the throne of your heart. But present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your body's parts as instruments of righteousness to God. In other words, do something. Do something for the kingdom of God. You've experienced this freedom, this power, this salvation. You've been saved. Now you got to move from breast milk into solid food in the kingdom and begin to shape your life in a kingdom way that leads to the glory of God. Verse 15, What then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Far from it, or in the King James, forbid not. Do you not know that the one to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of that same one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Here we go. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. After being freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. Hallelujah. Slaves to right living. Slaves to right standing with Jesus and the Spirit. Slaves to joy unspeakable and full of glory. See, we no longer under grace have to, we want to. We get to. That's the joyful part. And I, I land here, how can one truly enjoy this kingdom experience? Yes, one's soul must be certain. One's mind must absolutely be convinced. One's life must be consecrated. But one's mission, one's purpose must be Christ. Not wealth, not health. Christ, Christ. If your life is centered around Christ, it may lead you to the backside of nowhere in poverty. It may lead you to a life of wealth. It may 
leads you to a life of pain and suffering, but it'll be worth it in the end. Whatever lane God's called you to walk in and to pioneer, it will all be worth it in the end. We're not living for this life only, but for the life to come. We will reign with Him. Those of us that are willing to pick up our cross and follow Him in this life will reign with Him in the next life. So you may not have the life you dreamed of, but if you'll make Jesus the focal point, your life will be everything it was supposed to be until it's time to reign with Him, with your new body. Amen? One's purpose must be Christ. In Romans, this epistle of grace, of course it says all things work together for the good, for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose, Romans eight twenty eight. But in verse 29, it says, He has predestined His children to be conformed to the image of His Son. The word predestined there in the Greek means to set forth the path. I don't believe God likes just a few people he created. I believe he loves us all and everybody can be saved that needs to be saved and that will cry out for Jesus. The word predestined means to set forth the path. In other words, God's ultimate goal for all of us is to be transformed into the image of his son. Now, I'm not there yet, neither are you. But that's why we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's why we must keep mining for gold and silver on the inside of us. We must keep reading the word. We must worship. We must put God first. And when we do that, things will begin to shift. How many of you would say, Pastor, I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I'm not as good as I'm going to be. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. One's purpose must be Christ. In order for one's purpose to be Christ, we must first, and Abbas, this is specifically for this church, we must stray, stay true to the mission. Everybody say Mission. Listen, I know that the new thing in the New Age Church is everybody wants to name the ministry something cool and the skinny jeans and, oh, let's all get practical and let's spend six hours about strategy. Till I'm blue in the face annoyed with it. And most people who want to do this stuff have never built anything but a case of hemorrhoids. Let me just throw that in. Um, most people who want to strategize and sit around, it's because they have nothing to do. What is our mission? Let's get back to it. It's real simple. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spoke to them. Verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. That is the Great Commission, which is our mission. It has not changed. It is not for preachers. It's not just for men. It's for men, women, everyone. We are called to make disciples. It's not just the preacher's job. It's not just the life group leader's job. Every person in this room can go make a difference in somebody's life. And when a church is fully functioning under the power of the Holy Ghost and being all that it is supposed to be, it moves from a religious organization that tries to offer the latest and greatest to attract other believers and other people's church members into an evangelistic body committed to the mission under the authority of the Holy Ghost. That's the vision for the church. I'm sorry it's not cute 
we've got great media team we can make it cute we can do graphics we can do light shows we'll do everything you want to do but the, the mission is go make a difference in somebody else's life you know 60% of the people I baptize I have a personal relationship with I don't just show up on Sunday to bat. I have a personal relationship with some of them not all of them but 60% I would say or more I've led them to Christ. And I'm not bragging on myself. Listen, my righteousness is that of filthy rags. What I'm trying to tell you is if I can do it, you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Evangelism is not debating with someone who doesn't believe. Evangelism is looking for that person who's thirsty, hungry, broken, miserable, in need of a touch from God, and finding that one and pouring into them. And then that person finding their one, and then that person finding their one. And it is the doctrine of multiplication. We must stay true to the mission. The Great Commission is our mission. It's laced with compassion. It's all about connection, connecting to other people. But Christ is at the center of it all. And as we're walking this mission out, we must remember to walk in humility. We don't lord over people. We don't judge people. We don't stick our nose up at people. We don't gossip about people. Because I'm telling you, if you want to witness to someone and you want to see them come to Christ, you first have to be a trusted vessel. Nobody wants to pour their heart out to someone who's going to share their weaknesses with other people. No one wants to pour their hearts out to someone that's using them for their own gain. When you are witnessing, it's about you and Christ and that person, that's it. And if you'll walk in humility, if you'll show your own weaknesses, be vulnerable, people will trust you to pray for them, to speak life into them, to cover them. People will trust you. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 14, says this. Bless those who persecute you. Boy, I'm getting there. Not quite there yet, but I'm getting there. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another that's what I want for this church of the same mind do not set your mind on high things but associate with the humble do not be wise in your own opinion listen we all have opinions we all have doctrines we all have things we're passionate about but none of those things are more valuable to God than a precious soul so don't lose the mission for your own opinions trust God to use you to make disciples. How do you do it? By being led by the Spirit. How do you bless those that persecute you? Somebody say the Spirit. How do you rejoice when you're hurting? The Spirit. How do you weep with those who weep? The Spirit. How do you walk in unity with other Christians and be of the same mind? The Spirit of God. Repay no one evil for evil. How do you do it? The Spirit. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men, if it is possible. As much as depends on you, check this out, because we're landing. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Peaceably with all men. At, at, at this place in my life, I'm telling you, I'm just done with drama. Anybody else there? Listen, I, if you don't agree with me, that's fine. I don't want to fight with you. I'm done with drama. I don't want to be in drama. The enemy loves drama. The media loves drama because it gets our minds off the things that our minds were created to be focused on. The kingdom, our mission. 
but I don't want to be involved in drama. I just don't have time for it. I don't have patience for it. But it says, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. In other words, I can love you and not agree with you. You can love me and not agree with me. I can love you and not like you. People outside the walls of the church, people we don't agree with, people that, I mean, frustrate us with their beliefs, their morals, the way they act. You don't have to like them, but you got to love them. And our goal should be to live peaceably with all men. What good is an argument going to do? Now, sometimes a rebuke is required. Sometimes you just got to go, boom. I agree, you got to rebuke the devil, confront evil. But most of the time, we're just satisfying our own flesh with our attitude. We're just trying to feel better about ourselves, and we got to get the last word in. When really, we're supposed to be living peaceably with all men. Peaceably. Which means, sometimes you have to allow things to be said about you and cover the person saying it, cover their faults because you're the more spiritual person. How do you do that, the Holy Spirit? I have honored every person that's left this church, even those that have left bad, and I have hid their weaknesses and failures from you, even though they haven't honored me. And it's not always easy. It's like having the ace in the hole. You know, where you could just bow, you know, if you ever played spades, you know. Just throw some truth down to destroy someone's reputation. But see, Christian people, you got to be smart enough. Anyone that's doing that, that's bashing someone or some place or something that they used to serve, y'all are smart enough to see through that, aren't you? The person that's covering the nakedness, the person that's walking in honor, the person that's still speaking good about that person, even though that person's not speaking good about them. That's a person who's being spirit-led because they're striving to live at peace with all men. Someone's got to be the Christian. Someone's got to be the first one to forgive. Someone's got to be the first one to submit. Someone's got to be the bigger person so the kingdom can be advanced. Friends, that doesn't happen without the Spirit. Live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Then it goes on to quote Isaiah, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Let me tell you, God's big enough to sort all this stuff out. And I promise you, you do not want to be on his list I'm telling you the moment you relinquish your right to get even and allow Jesus to take over the situation you'll see God you'll see his love you'll see the kingdom right in front of your face so how do we experience this joy your soul must be certain your mind must be convinced your life must be consecrated and your mission must be Christ Jesus Christ crucified. That's our mission. I pray that this summer we would refocus on that very mission so 
this fall we will launch into territory that we've never seen. I preached last September, for those of you paying attention, a prophecy message, and I don't preach a lot of prophecy. I do when God tells me to, and I get prophetic words. In other words, I'll see somebody and I'll give a prophetic word and things of that nature. But I preached a Hebrew numerical Perry Stone Randy Caldwell message that God gave me last September. And I predicted that this year would be a year of shaking and difficulty and pain and demonic activity. Now, I preach all the time. I didn't know that this was going to come as true as it did. But it's been a very difficult year. But I also spoke that by September, those that didn't quit, those that didn't give up on God, the remnant of God's people that remained standing, even though the enemy was attacking, the people who didn't quit, they will inherit ground they never thought they would inherit. They will see the Spirit of God. They will hear from God. And the church that remains will be filled with ecstasy and power and glory. And let me tell you, if I was right about the first part from Scripture, I know that I'm right about the second part. So my prophetic word to you is just hold on, baby. It's about to get good. It's about to get real good. If you'll just hang in there, it's about to get good. Would you stand on your feet? God allowed the shaking in order to get us to refocus. God allowed it in order for us to look to Him. Psalms 123. But now that He has our attention, and we're pouring our love out on Him like we should have been doing all along, now that He has our attention, the training for reigning begins. The power is coming. The anointing is coming. The favor is coming. I'm serious. I believe dreams are coming true. When that Jewish New Year hits this September, right around my partner's conference, I'm telling you, I wouldn't miss it. I've got some speakers you've never heard before. This is going to be a powerful time. New wine is the theme. It's going to be good. But I'm telling you, there is a shift. And for those of us that know the Lord, it's already started. I'm already feeling it. I'm already walking in it. I'm already seeing stuff. Some of you are too. But I'm telling you, Christian people, trust me. If you'll stick by the stuff, it's about to get good. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Would we pastors make your way down this morning if you could? It's just 1149. I believe maybe some people want to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Some of you need healing today. I believe God's going to pour out His healing. Some of you need to be filled afresh and new with the Holy Ghost. Some of you need to just get out of your row because you hadn't been out of it in a year. You need to get rid of all that COVID curse and let God touch you. Let Him fill you up. Just come to one of these pastors and say, I need joy. I'd come to Jake Hughes. He walks in joy all the time. This is going to be the joy line right here. Every other line can be Holy Ghost, miracles, signs, salvation, joy. This is the joy line right here. Hallelujah. If you need joy, you come. You go ahead and come, man. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. You come. If you need to make sure your soul's certain, I don't ever like to close without giving people an opportunity to make Jesus Lord of your life. Bow your head with me out of this house. If you don't know Jesus Christ, 
Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You need Jesus in your life. If you're lost, just pray this prayer with me. Abbas House, help me. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And use me for your glory. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says, confess me in front of men. Don't be ashamed. You come and tell one of these pastors. I'll meet you over here at the next steps area to my right and your left at the end of service. But many of you need joy. So I just want to start. We've already got ministry going. Lift your hands up. We're going to worship. Y'all come on. Let it rip. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful congregation. I ask right now that you send your joy angel into their hearts and stir them. Stir them supernaturally. Bring their joy back. Bring their fight back. Bring the anointing on their lives. Put your super on their natural. Lord, I believe you're causing some to dream again. You're bringing new visions and fresh revelation to the people today. Father God, we rebuke the devil. We rebuke the stench of death. We rebuke the diagnosis and we declare freedom from disease, freedom from our past, freedom from pain, freedom from religion, freedom from yesterday. Now Holy Spirit come and fill this place with your glory. Fill people with your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Give them that comfort of that teacher, that everlasting presence that they need to get through this life and to live peaceably with all men. Holy Ghost, fall now in Jesus' name. Amen. You come and don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment.